All right, welcome back to another episode of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson with Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. We're going to jump into three quick topics today. Uh, first, building off uh, one of O'Malley's stories from last week about red zone offense and sort of, you know, is it is was that an Everett-Golson problem or not? We're going to talk a little bit about Kavari Russell, but more in the big picture topic of uh, the Sports Illustrated story that came out uh, on him and also sort of the demands on the Notre Dame student athlete, more specifically the football players, uh, and then also just safety recruiting a little bit at the end. But I thought, Tim, your story about red zone office was interesting because after reading it, you kind of think, well, wait a minute, these turnovers aren't on a specific quarterback. It's more on a specific system. Yeah, and it really the idea came from a positive. I thought in the kind of backwards way of thinking, boy, if it weren't for botched snaps and turnovers, they had a pretty good red zone offense last year. And then I realized that's not isolated to 2014. Yeah. It happened in the, the Reese Chris year, 2011, where they had all those turnovers and, and rougher missing field goals. And it's a strange... You don't think of Kelly's teams. We've even seen stories of Kelly's running backs don't fumble, and how the you know they, they how how much improved they are from that first year when they were fumblers, and now they're not. But the quarterbacks and the turnovers uh, over a five year period, and, and you know Reese did start more games than Golson, and he had more, and that's not overly surprising, I guess, if you think back to the Tommy Reese era. Um, it's surprising that it continued through his senior year. Uh, last year, it, it's pointed out in the story that. They scored touchdowns on 65% of their drives in the red zone. That's the same as Oregon. It's better than Arizona State. It's better than Wisconsin. And I thought Wisconsin was no. It's about the same as Wisconsin. It's technically better. I find that notable because Wisconsin had Melvin Gordon, and you think get in the red zone, run the ball, you're fundamentally sound. It's great. It's just the catastrophic mistakes, but it's it's not isolated. You can't just say, well, they won't make those mistakes now because everyone has made those mistakes for five years. And and I mentioned it to Pete when I was kind of writing the story. He, he said, you know, I, it's hard to take this in context of Everett Golson. So the point was look back at Brady Quinn and Jimmy Clausen, and I realized Brady Quinn is a better quarterback than all the other guys, and he's also sturdier, a stronger guy. But one in three years. One red zone turnover <laughs> on Brady Quinn in three years. In three years. This is ridiculous. And, and Clawson had, I believe it was eight in, in his 31 starts or something, but a lot of those are isolated to when he had no offensive line and, and, and no hope. I, I mean, this is a direct reflection of an offense that overemphasizes the passing game in the red zone, sure. correct? I mean, or or maybe we should say doesn't emphasize the running game enough, and that's something that we've, we've talked about before. I love stories where, and I'm sure you went into the story – just curious as to what the numbers are going to say exactly, not exactly positive. Right, right. how it would go. The, to me, those are the those are the best stories to write because there are no preconceived notions as you go into the story. Yeah, and it was fun because I couldn't find one for Quinn. I was like, I got to triple check this thing, man. <laughs> and then I yeah. finally, finally did. It was actually uh, Stanford 05. He had one that game that got that stayed too close to, and they went to the BCS by winning a, a close game. Right. Up there. Well, I mean, it just is indicative of what happens when you turn the ball in the red zone. You put your flirting with disaster immediately and I think you know the record you said they're they're barely they're basically a 500 team when they commit one red zone turnover so it's like we spend so much time talking about Notre Dame well you got to win the turnover battle and it almost has nothing to do with that it's like you have to not turn the ball over in the red zone you have to not do something that is like making a choice in some ways to put yourself in that position whether you take the ball away or not has, just seems to have nothing to do with it. And the crazy is that these are bad losses, too. I mean, there's South oh, Florida's yeah. a bad team. Northwestern's a bad team. There's games you should not have lost, like the famous Michigan game where Reese is losing the ball as he drops. He threw, there were two turnovers in the red zone in, in the Michigan loss when Reese 
loses right. the ball when he goes to make a throw from the seven yard line. He just drops it. I mean, these are it's catastrophic. It's what it is. It, it's as bad as when you give up a touchdown, a defensive touchdown, as a quarterback because yeah. you can name as many times Notre Dame has won big games giving up a defensive touchdown. That just off the top of my head, Golson was sacked, fumble touchdown against Stanford in the famous win, the goal line stand game. Tommy Reese threw an interception touchdown in the win against Arizona State. Now you can go back the other way and and, and Golson threw an interception touchdown in the win against North Carolina. You can go and you can find losses. Obviously, it's a bad thing to do to throw an interception touchdown. Syracuse. Syracuse, yeah. they won again. Arizona State this year yeah. lost. Those are still, at the end of the day, those are the exception to the yes, rule. Yeah, I don't think yeah. there's any doubt about that. Now, as we project and look forward, Ever Golson's gone. Malik Zaire's here. They're certainly going to emphasize the running game more because he's going to be Zaire, that is is going to be a big part of it. This is an area that we should... And then you throw in Mike Sanford and his emphasis, some of the things that, that, that he talked about to you during the spring. This is an area that should improve for Notre Dame. And I thought the the real interesting take from Sanford saying you, you use 60 yards to get down the field running your offense, then you change. I did think it's hard to to quantify how much Notre Dame changed in the red zone last year, but you, you do remember the red zone, the read option fumbles in the red zone and they didn't use that a lot to get down the field last year you remember Golson against Northwestern taking a snap Golson bumping into Folston this is not a turnover bumping into Folston the ball going in the air against Northwestern um there's the Chris Brown end around against Northwestern the Chris Brown end around Greg not a crucial one Greg Bryant fumbled one of the five worst calls (laughs) I've seen in my 34 years of covering Notre Dame Chris Brown Chris Brown in that situation first career carry yeah, only for a carry, incidentally. And point. you and and you have CJ Procise, who has proven he can run that play well. But the, my my point was, will they might not have to change their offense down there because you assume the zone read is going to be part of the offense sure. with Malik Zaire. He's adept at running it. You're not force feeding Golson. All right, we're at the five. Let's run a zone read play between you and Folston. It, it in theory. Sanford's theory is don't change. They might not have to change. Yeah, it's just, if it's a more run-first offense, the running plays that you run at the 50 should be similar to the run plays you run at the 5. The pass plays you run at the 50 are completely different than what you're running at the 5. So I think that sort of trends more in the direction of what Sanford's talking about. You don't have to change because you're more run-first than pass. All right, well, that'll be an interesting thing to track in the fall. We move on to uh, a little bit more Kavari Russell. Last week, Pete, when we talked to you, you uh, we hadn't read your story yet. A very interesting read about all the things that he's done with the people that are trying to help him get back on track. And then then the follow-up from uh, Pete Thamel uh, on his story on Kavari Russell and Sports Illustrated this week. And you know, I thought a couple interesting things coming out of that, and obviously, Kavari Russell is depicted in the in the way that we know him to be. Uh, Thamel opens by uh, commenting about his rapid fire talk, and we we know that Kavari can do that uh, uh, with the best of them. But anyway, I thought some of the interesting things that came out of that, and one of them was Brian Kelly talking about, hey, maybe Nordim needs to reevaluate the student athlete or the football player, particularly in the fall. You know, they're on a three-and-a-half-year path to graduation by taking 15 credit hours in the fall. 50, I, I mean, let's be realistic here. How in the world does a football player tend to 15 credit hours? It'd be hard enough with 12, but I think 12 is a little bit more realistic. And then on top of that, everything that is required of them, the expectations, the demands on their time with football, I think it makes sense for those football players to be taking 12 hours, which is generally four classes as opposed to five. 12 makes sense to me because I think 15 is there because you're there for eight semesters and you're going to graduate. But 
the football players are, they have to be there for the summer. For other students, it's if you choose to get ahead and take some of that load off your junior and senior year. I know that my first summer at Notre Dame, I didn't take any, and then I realized this is dumb. I don't want to be taking 15 hours all the right. time, so I'm going to take some summer classes. They're naturally there. It seems 12 in the fall. You could take 15 in the spring, probably, just to keep sure. up. But 12 in the fall just seems, you're already taking six in the summer. Every summer you have to, as an Notre Dame football player. You're not going to be there taking part in all the activities and not taking classes. It's it's mandatory for football players, but not for other students to be there in the summer. I'm sure I remember Harrison Smith taking, maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else, but somebody took 18 hours in the fall, which is... I, I don't. That's not even possible. I don't even know. That's just not even possible. <laughs> I think guys that could take eighteen hours in the fall can can handle everything. Well, that's kind of the way of looking at it. They're, they're not the guys true. that are going to be Pat Connaughton probably yeah, could take yeah. eighteen hours. I mean, in I guess Brady Quinn was a double major uh, coming out of here, so I think that probably have, there was an eighteen hour semester in there for him somewhere. But I, you know, it was interesting the story Brian Kelly talking about how the average ACT I think was a twenty four for right. the football program and, and, and freshmen are thirty three. Freshmen in general, yeah. Are and I think you, I mean, you look at the guys who have gotten clipped for academic stuff, and it's not you know the higher end. These are guys who had academic you know red flags coming out of high school, or at least were maybe not coming from elite academic high schools coming to Notre Dame. They're coming from public schools where getting to Notre Dame was going to be a big deal. Uh, graduating from Notre Dame was going to be a big deal. It's like, I mean, you look at some guys on the team when they graduate. Like, Joe Schmidt graduated last weekend. Of course, Joe Schmidt graduated last weekend. There was never a question that Joe Schmidt was going to graduate. Ever Golson graduated last weekend. That's a big deal. Like, there was a question whether he was going to make it through here or not. And I think for the guys who are running into academic troubles there these are the guys you know lewis Nix was a, like is this guy gonna make it from rains high school at notre dame that, that is gonna take a village to get this guy through here uh and you know congratulations for lewis Nix for graduating um but i think those are the guys that could really benefit from 12 you know could even be a part-time student during the fall when you're playing 17 night games and basically your entire weekend is shot uh for academic stuff i I don't know what the solution is there, but I, I'm with Ryan Kelly on this. Is like Notre Dame needs to reevaluate pitching the three and a half year path to graduation because it just doesn't make sense to if if then your your goal is also to get the best out of these guys on the field on Saturday. Well, okay, you you pick and choose who it's right for, as you said, Joe Schmidt. Joe Schmidt should be on a three and a half year schedule if if, if, if that yeah if yeah. he if he wants to be. You encourage it. Uh, you know, I think a lot of kids. I, Joe Schmidt wouldn't have been happy if he had been on a four-year pace to graduate. He would well, have been what bored. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. What do I do with my time? So I think there's a there, there's a balance there. There's a happy medium. It should it's, be encouraged, yeah. but there, but don't the treat option, everyone the same. Right. Exactly. I mean and, that. You know, like sometimes Notre, Notre Dame Press is like they're student athletes. They're just like regular students. They're not. Especially these football players who are coming in with 18 ACTs when the average freshman is almost doubling that score, that that is really asking a lot a kid of take a, a football player taking 12 hours in the fall, you're not compromising your academic integrity. You're That's also, not what that yeah, is. I agree. And you're also not falling behind because you have to take right. six hours right. in the summer. I mean, yeah. you're still ahead. It, it's after freshman, after sophomore, after junior, six, six, six. That's 18. Yeah, definitely. All right, last topic we want to hit today was safety recruiting. Um Notre Dame needs safeties. Not really much of a breaking news item there. But, uh, I mean, Tim, you've sort of been running down these guys. I'm going to do a film review later in the week, sort of comparing and contrasting these guys. Uh, and you said something interesting before we started recording that 
you may like McKelty Williams more than all these guys. I do. I, I, I stand by that, and I haven't gotten through them all. We're, we're going to start doing, you know, I've always done the, the individual film reviews, but I want to kind of take a, a positional look at it in the film room, safeties in the film room, defensive ends. And I, I think if we've, as we've seen, Ernie's not where they need to be uh, on pace with a lot of these positions. And I think safety is, is really acute. And I, you know, I, Craig Watts is a hammer back there. They've got a shot at him from St. Petersburg, but he's more of a strong safety. I mean, most of these guys I'm looking at are more run support, strong safety, uh, Chacho Uloa, you know, guys like that. Kenny Like is a guy that's more free safety-like, but he's probably not going to choose Notre Dame. Did Notre Dame get in a little too late on him? It looks like he's probably probably going to end up at, at, at Michigan State. So I think McKelty Williams is going to be, I think McKelty Williams, I thought this, I said it, I wrote it when he signed or when I first did his film review. He's a four-star player, and that's a kid that's going to be a cornerstone of your safety position in the future. But I'm not seeing a lot of McKelty Williams-type players, number one. And number two, I'm not sure that Notre Dame's in a position to land any of these safeties. You yeah. would know better than I, and yeah. so I'm throwing that back to you. And this is something, I posted this on our message board, the Four Horsemen Lounge, like, this is always going to be a little bit of a rebuilding year for Notre Dame and recruiting. You've got a new recruiting coordinator. I like where Mike Elston can take the department. you got Todd Light out for the first time. Autry Denton sort of out for the first time. Uh, Brian Van Gorder's not a great recruiter. That's not his reputation at all. Keith Gilmore sort of known as a good recruiter. Sanford, I think, could be great. Um but there's, uh, there's been a lot of turnover on that staff. Um, and I think defensive back, where you have Van Gorder taking on more of a role with the safeties and Todd Light, who's recruiting for the first time, that's a tough combination for Notre Dame to have a dynamite safety class. Um, so it's Devin Studsill is a guy I want to mention. He's coming up for Irish Invasion. He's a safety corner out of Palm Beach Gardens High School in Florida. Teammates from Tavon Coney. Uh, Notre Dame likes him a lot. Talking to a source down at that school, they feel like... He's getting a lot of the positive pressure to leave state and sort of expand his horizons that Coney did. That still took a ton of work for Notre Dame to get Coney, but Studsville might be the uh, the next on the line. But I, I agree with you, Tim. Like They need to sort of recalibrate things. I, I think that's, that's sort of what the staff is doing right now. The spring evaluation period ends this week, wraps up with Memorial Day, uh, and then they can sort of say, okay, are, are we behind? Are we on schedule? Are we ahead? Uh, and then throw out some new offers because um, – just sort of riding with what they got. I don't think it's probably going to get the job done. I'm always the guy that's saying, don't panic. It's still early. Signing day's not till February. But, I mean, the landscape has changed. There's no sure. doubt. It's different. Kids are ready to commit now. Kids have already committed up to this point. And the timetable has sped up so much in the last few years. Brian Van Gorder has got to react sooner, I think, on a lot of these players um, he has to evaluate them quicker, and they have to make decisions quicker on them. All right, well, that's it for our Monday edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. We're going to take next week off because it's Memorial Day. Uh, Tim will be recovering from the Indy 500 on top of that, so it wouldn't be a great show. So <laughs> until then, he's Tim Priester, he's Tim O'Malley, I'm Pete Sampson. You've been listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. Listen, when I'm talking to you, you think you ought to do, baby. 